October 24 through October 30th, 2014. I'm your host, David Tanner, and we are very pleased to have you with us here today on Main Menu. And it is being a very nice fall around most of the area here, and we are hoping that it is being the same around your area, and we hope you're having a great fall. We have a couple of segments coming up for you today we think you might be very interested in. We start out with I am going to be interviewing Mr. Dusty Voorhees, Senior Product Manager from Freedom Scientific, and Dusty and I are going to be talking about the soon-to-be-released Magic version 13, and we are very pleased to have Dusty in the studio with us for this interview, and I think you're going to find the new Magic 13 has a lot of new and really uh, some pretty exciting new features and so you'll want to stay tuned for that and then after Dusty and I talk for a while then David Woodbridge is going to come to us with a demonstration of using the handoff feature in iOS 8 using his iPhone 6 Plus and the iPad mini both using iOS 8. That's what's up today here on Main Menu. Just a couple of notes of interest in the technology field. If you don't know it, the iOS 8.1 update, which corrects a number of bugs with iOS 8, and particularly some bugs that were fairly serious, and VoiceOver is out if you haven't checked lately. It came out this past Monday. The 20th of October, so you might want to go out and grab that if you have an iOS device and haven't done that upgrade. It does fix quite a few bugs and makes iOS 8 work quite a bit better than it was there in the very first release. Also, wanted to let you know that on Thursday, October 23rd, Freedom Scientific came out with Beta 3 of JAWS 16. And we are getting close to the release of JAWS 16. I would say probably you can expect it anytime now, probably within the next week or two. So keep a watch on Freedom Scientific if you are a JAWS user, because you can expect that's probably going to come out pretty soon now, JAWS 16. Well, we're going to go ahead now and get into this week's program. We hope you have a great week and hope you'll be back with us again next week here on Main Menu. Here at ACB Radio's Main Menu, we are always looking for feedback from our listeners. If you have any feedback about something that you have heard here on Main Menu, suggestions for things you would like to hear on future programs, or if you are able to record a product demonstration or interview for us, please get in contact with us by sending an email to mainmenu at acbradio.org. That's mainmenu at acbradio.org. 
You can also get in contact with us via Twitter. Our Twitter page is at www.twitter.com slash mainmenu, or you can follow at mainmenu with your favorite Twitter client. Finally, all of our contact information, past shows, and more can be found on our website at mainmenu.acbradio.org. Thank you for listening to Main Menu, and we look forward to hearing from you with your thoughts about our program. I am pleased to have with me in the studio today Mr. Dusty Voorhees, Senior Product Manager from Freedom Scientific, and welcome, Dusty, to Main Menu, and it is very good to have you with us today on Main Menu, and you're going to be talking with us, I understand, about the latest with Magic and the upcoming release uh, in the near future of Magic 13. Thank you, Dave. It's good to be here. I think this is the first time I've actually been in your studio for the interviews we've done. Um, so I'm excited about sharing with you about what's in Magic 13 and what we've been doing um, with the product. Well, it is very good to have you with you. Have you with us? Uh, I think we've talked by Skype and uh, maybe some other ways, but uh, it's kind of nice to have you right in the studio here. So. Um, I was looking at the beta page for Magic 13 and looking at the new features, and it looks like you've kind of got quite a list of new features, uh, including uh, support for Windows 8.1. And there was some kind of a comment there about if a person was using an earlier Windows 8. So could you comment on, while you're talking about the the, the Windows 8 support, could you talk about what if a person does have 8.0? Well, if you have 8.0, you've probably been prompted a lot of times by Microsoft already to upgrade um, because they've really kind of pushed that down there. Um, One of the advantages of going to 8.1 is simply that there's a lot more support built into the the Windows platform in 8.1 that allows us to give better support to our users. So we encourage you to go to 8.1. That's where we focused our testing. That's where we focused our development to make sure that, you know, people that are on the current environment, and it was a free upgrade from 8 to 8.1 and with significant improvements in the operating system. So uh, we'd encourage you to take that step. Okay. And, and so in your Windows 8.1 support, um, how are things doing? I know in some of the assistive technologies I've seen around from time to time, uh, some work fairly well with what uh, the, in the beginning they were calling the modern apps and some didn't. Um, how's that doing with, um, with Magic? Well, we've worked some on the modern apps. I mean, the main thing was getting the operating system um, working and the um, you know, classic apps working because that's what people are, you know, using to, to make their living, to, to do their jobs and study, that type of stuff. Um, but we have worked on some modern apps. We work very well in the ones that are based on Internet Explorer. Um, some of the others, we're still having to figure out ways to, to fully support those. But those are the more gimmicky apps that um, people aren't going to spend a lot of time in. Okay. Okay, well, I knew some people would would want to know about that, and so I thought this would be a good time to find out how that's going and, uh, and uh, what they expect there. So I know, too, and I know for a lot of people, particularly uh, using large print, they may be in job situations or, or even in personal situations, but particularly in job situations where they may be using um, dual monitors, maybe using two monitors. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how Magic supports the use of two monitors. 
Yeah, well, Magic introduced um, support for dual monitors back in Magic 11, um, and we've continued to develop that. Um, the, the idea behind our support of dual monitors, the primary thing we're supporting is, you know, to where you have two different applications and two different monitors, maybe you're referencing one and working in the other one based off of what you're reading in the one. Because you'll So you want to be able to look at that information and type. But you also may want to be copying and pasting from one application to another. If you were working on a single monitor, there's the problem with, you know, there's focus within the application, but there's also, okay, where am I copying, where am I referencing? And so every time you alt-tabbed, if you were on a single monitor, you're having to kind of find your your place of interest. And so the idea with this is I can keep my place of interest in both monitors. We provide keystrokes to allow you to jump back and forth between the monitors without shifting where the focus is. Um, but we also have it to where um, I could select text in one application, um, left-click on it with the mouse, and do what we've always told people that low vision, don't try this because it's too hard. And I can actually hold a key on the Magic Keyboard or two keys on a standard keyboard, and I can drag that text over the other application, release my mouse, and it'll automatically be pasted in the other application. So it allows us to be much more productive in what we're doing. So that's what we call independent mode, because both monitors are independent of each other. Mm -hmm. We also have what we call overview mode. And overview mode says I have one monitor that's magnified, one monitor that's not magnified. By default, whatever visual enhancements you have turned on are applied to both monitors. Um, so it's kind of like the super split view or the super overlay, um, except I'm using two different monitors. Um, so let's say I have you know color enhancements turned on because glare is an issue in my magnified monitor, well, it would also be an issue in my unmagnified monitor. Sure. So we're going to have it on over there. Or maybe I've got a really large mouse enhancement in the unmagnified monitor and um, just a subtle mouse enhancement in the magnified monitor. And Magic allows you to have those different settings within your scheme for those. So it allows you to kind of track, where am I on the screen? What am I doing? Um, so that's one application of how you deal with, you know, the overview mode so that you, you say, hey, I want to know where I am, what's going on. I can kind of look at the formatting, that kind of stuff. Um, but there's a couple other places that people use the overview mode for. Um, one of them, we actually had a person that came up to me and we, we actually added a feature um, probably about a year ago, a little more. Um, because of this person, he came up to me and he says, Dusty, I really don't want to have the enhancements in the unmagnified view. And the reason he wanted that is because he was a low-vision person that used about 4X magnification, inverted screens and mouse enhancements, but he wanted to teach sighted people the Windows applications. Okay. And so he didn't want any enhancements showing up over in that unmagnified monitor. And that way he could do like we all do. We can say, now you see right here, and he could move the mouse up and kind of move it around something that he wanted to draw their attention to. The monitor looked like the standard monitor to them. They didn't even necessarily know that he had a monitor that was magnified. Okay. Um, so that was one of the applications. So we have a checkbox that says um, show enhancements in unmagnified view. You can turn that off. But there's also people that are doing PowerPoint presentations. And we have one more checkbox that I encourage you to turn off if you're doing that because even though the person would see a standard screen up there on your PowerPoint presentation, um, because you're working magnified and you're kind of looking at what your bullets are as you're talking, they're going to see you moving the mouse around on the screen. And so we've actually put a feature in there that says, 
don't show the mouse in the unmagnified view. And so that way, as you're doing your presentation in PowerPoint, the people that are looking at your PowerPoint presentation aren't distracted by the mouse moving around on the screen. So they're just seeing, they're just seeing the, what the, the, the slide that's up there, but they're not, not seeing you moving around in it. Yeah, and if you want to be really cool, you can put a link in there. So then when you move the mouse over there, the link actually changes color on their slide, and it looks like magic to them. Okay. Well, that's kind of neat. Well, of course, why wouldn't you put that into magic? That's right. Put a little magic <laughs> in magic. <laughs> okay. And, and the reason I wanted you uh, to kind of explain the, the uh, dual monitor uh, and how magic supports it is the next couple of the things we're going to be talking about kind of wanted to know if they are supported and if if so how they work in, in you know single monitor versus dual monitor uh, modes so the first one one of, one of the new features that that um, I thought there might be some differences with would be the text viewer okay well the text viewer to just kind of explain what it is is it's a single line um, in a window at the top of your screen or at the bottom of your screen that actually is populated with the text where the cursor is if you're typing or, you know, where focus is if you're tabbing around things or if you move the mouse to text. It'll actually populate that line. Um, the idea with the line is I can dictate, you know, what font is used, what is the size of the font, what is the background color and the foreground color. And where it's really powerful is when you're on the Internet, because on the Internet, they change the size of text constantly throughout an Internet page, you know, and you could um, be bumping your magnification up and down constantly. You could also run into places where the author of that Internet page has actually inverted some of the text. So it's white on black where the rest of the page is black on white. And so now you have glare issues and that kind of stuff. So by being able to look at the text viewer, no matter what the original um, font stylization is, you're going to get it in your font, in your background, in your foreground, the size that you want it to be. So it makes it very nice to be able to navigate a page, even if you're just looking up at the text viewer to clarify one or two words that are on the screen. Um, but you can also do a say all. And so, you know, imagine a, a web page where there's two or three columns and if you're trying to follow during a say all and, and um, you know, the spotlight is, you know, going from word to word as it speaks it and it's moving up and down columns, that can be very fatiguing on your eyes. So by looking at the text viewer, we'll actually scroll the text across through the text viewer that's being spoken, even though everything's popped around. Um, and, you know, you have choices on whether as it populates new text, does it come back to the left edge and then go from left to right, or does it keep everything just centered? You know, whatever word is being spoken is right in the center of the text viewer. So um, that gives you the advantage of less eye fatigue during that say-all as text is just scrolled by for you. Um, but the, the big advantage of the text viewer is the fact that I have stylized text the way I want it to be at the same time that I'm working live in my document. So I'm not pulling text out into some other application and having to, you know, I go, oh, I got to edit that part, and now I got to go find that place. I'm just automatically there because it's spotlighted in my text viewer, but it's also spotlighted down in the live document. Okay. So it allows me to be very efficient. Okay. okay. Um, um, so let me tie that back to the, the dual monitor because you asked that question. Mm -hmm. um, the choices that you have on the dual monitor is you can say, which monitor do I want that 
text viewer window to show in, and also is it at the top or the bottom of the screen? Okay. Um, where with a single monitor you have the choice of top or bottom, but it's you only have one monitor. Right. Okay. Okay. So so you you can choose which monitor you want it in, um, but you probably in, in most cases would only want it on one or the other. Yeah, we don't place it in in both monitors. We place okay. it in one of them because. You know, it's more of a reference spot, okay. um, and so you don't really want that moving around as you switch monitors. Mm -hmm. Okay. The 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 other thing I was wondering about with the text viewer is 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 it available in basically all applicate Windows applications, or are there somewhere maybe it doesn't work or doesn't work all that well, or. It, it should work in all the applications. Basically, if we're able to read the text to you, we know it's there, and we can populate the text viewer with that text. Okay. Okay, uh, okay. The, the next major feature for 13 is new magnification levels. And um, um, I put down here as my, my first question, uh, so why would I want the, these many different levels? And, but uh, I think I just make that a part of the what is it? Okay. Well, the magnification levels, of course, is saying how how big um, do you need the text in order to be able to read it efficiently. But it also ties in proportionally to how much of the original screen can I see at a time. So, for example, if I did a a jump from you know at two x magnification, I'm seeing one fourth of the screen. But if I go to 3x, I'm seeing one-ninth of the screen, and at 4x, I'm seeing a sixteenth of the screen. Mm -hmm. So every time I increase magnification, I proportionally decrease the amount of real estate I'm seeing at one time. So the idea with having these smaller incremental magnification levels is to make it to where no matter what level you're working on, we're trying to make the jump small to where you know, you're getting it up to where you can see the text and make out the text. But you're not jumping beyond where you have to, to where you're okay. losing more real estate. Right. So between 1x and, and 2x, we jump by a tenth of a magnification level each time you step it up. Okay. Right. What we um, introduced in Magic 12 is we added in a 2.5x. And in Magic 13, we've actually got, we're going quarter inch increments or quarter step increments from 2x all the way up to 4x. And then from there, all the way up to our top magnification level, we're jumping in 1x increments. So no matter what you're doing, what level you're working on, we're trying to keep those steps down mm -hmm. um, to where you're losing less real estate or the least amount of real estate possible to get you at a comfortable reading level. So basically between 1 and 4 years, every is be like 1.25, 1.5 to 1.75? Yes. I, actually, uh, actually at, at, between 1 and 2, it's... It's tenths, but it, at oh, two okay. it starts up at, at quarters. Oh, okay, so one point one through one point nine, and then two and then two point two five. Yes. Okay. Okay, I got you. <laughs> and I certainly can understand why that could certainly be a help because I I have many times seen folks who uh, that were just fine at uh, 1.5, 1.6, and remote for most things never needed to get to two. So if they really don't need to get to two, why take up the extra? You know, you let them have as much print on the screen as they can. Correct. Makes, uh, makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, uh, does now this will the, will this work with both monitors if uh, if you're if you if you were using dual monitor support or just on one or? 
Well, if you're in independent mode, your, your magnification is constant on both monitors. Okay. So if I bump it up to the next level, it's going to be on the next level on both monitors. Oh, okay. um, someday I'll probably figure out a, a really creative way to make it uh, intuitive for um, users to be able to have two different magnification levels on those monitors. Um, but I haven't figured that part out yet, so we'll get that eventually. Um, if you're using the overview mode, of course, one's always at 1x. Okay, and I, and I was just going to say, I'm, guess, I'm guessing, though, that if you were using that mode, that, that, that it would just be in the one monitor, and then the other one would still be at 1x. That's correct. Okay. I, that's kind of what I was assuming, but I was going to ask you about that. Next feature that I um, that saw here and is about... Uh, uh, mouse border color. Can you explain to us what that new feature is all about? Yeah, it's kind of a subtle feature for some people. And in fact, if you never invert your screen, it's it doesn't give you as much of value. Um, but what has happened is over the years is, you know, probably, you know, close to half of our users invert the colors on the screen to, to eliminate glare. And so the back of their screen is black. Well, the border of, of most mouse that um, you would have, system mouse um, or the HD mouse that we provide, is black as well. And what I would call the hot point on the mouse, the, the part that you actually click with when you're right. you know, moving it to something and clicking, is actually in that black border. So if you invert the background so the background is black and then you have a black border on your mouse, then you're kind of having to guess exactly where that hot spot is. So what we did in this version is we give you, within the mouse enhancements, the ability to independently set the body color and the border color of the mouse. And so if you're somebody that inverts the screen, you might want to go in and turn the border color to be red or yellow or something that's going to stand out against that black background. And that way it just makes it to where you can more precisely click on things. Okay. Uh, and so I can imagine that, yeah... Particularly, I would guess if it's black and white, if you were doing just black and white, that might even be more crucial than, than ever, maybe. Absolutely. And like I said, people have been working for years with, with not having the ability to set border colors, but it makes it nice for them to work now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, okay. And uh, uh, then it looks like you're now supporting the, uh, what is it, vocalizer uh, synthesizers? Vocalizer Expressive. Um, we supported Vocalizer in Magic 12. Um, what Expressive brings to the table is it has some more voices that we didn't have before. But the key um, features to our users out there is that it's much more responsive. So as, as you're you know, starting speech, stopping speech, moving speech to other places, um, it's quicker to react. Okay. Um, but also one of the uh, key advantages is the um, fact that it gives you uh, pitch increment control, so you can actually have it to where, you know, letters that are capitalized are spoken with a higher pitch. Okay. And so it just kind of backs up what you're visually seeing on the screen. It was super important for our JAWS users. It's still a nice feature for our Magic users. Mm -hmm. Oh, definitely. And I can remember, of course, the, the, these synthesizers are the updated from the old RealSpeak days. And uh, back in those days, you couldn't change the pitch, uh, much do much with them. They, they were just there. And you either liked it the way it was or you liked it the way it was. <laughs> or you used something else. Yeah, Vocalizer Expressive is the first one that has allowed you to have a natural-sounding voice right. that you could do pitch increment. 
And it's also the, the first one that really had a natural sounding voice that lets you speed it up really, really fast and still be comprehensible. Mm -hmm. And uh, having, used, having used it, I can tell you, it's, it's a, a significant difference and it really is a big help. So I understand you also have updated your support for Skype. Yes, we've uh, you know updated the support both in JAWS and Magic for Skype. Um, we're actually you know using you know the same technology um, for both of them, basically the same script set. Uh, Magic will speak slightly different because some things are very obvious to the low vision person on the screen, and it'd be a little redundant to speak some of that information. Sure. Um, or maybe we should say annoying, uh, but at, <laughs> at any rate, uh, so there's some places where we'll speak less information with magic. Um, one of the things we um, encourage people to do with this new support is to switch to what's called the compact view. Okay. And the compact view will take your conversations that you're having and put each conversation in a separate window. Okay. And that allows you to switch between those windows and get, you know, really a more full support um, as you're doing Skype. Okay. Now, are you thinking of that being more like for text messaging instead of um, speech conversation or either way? It, it's more for the text messaging, um, but you get one or the other. So it's okay. not like you can say, oh, when I'm doing a voice message, don't be in compact view. Oh, okay. So you just switch it to compact view and you work with that. And it just works better. Yes. Yeah, okay. That, that, that was one thing I wasn't totally clear on, but it kind of sounded more like it was particularly if you were in text message. If you were doing a text message, you probably definitely would want it that way. Okay. And the next one, I think I'm just going to say, um, well, uh, uh, NumLock, um, and now it will now tell you whether your NumLock is on or off. Um, and, and there's, I'm sure, a lot more to that than just saying, is the NumLock on or off? Why would I care? Okay, actually the feature um, is your ability to set in Magic whether or not it toggles the NumLock when it launches. Okay. Um, so, and JAWS has a similar feature, and we've, we've moved that to, to Magic. And, you know, most users, it doesn't affect because, you know, they come in and they want to be able to use the NumPad to do all the speech stuff, so you want to have NumLock turned off. Okay. But let's say that you're an accountant and you make heavy use of the NumPad you would like it to not toggle that to the off position when it comes in. Right. And then you'll toggle it when you want to have speech commands. Mm -hmm. So now you can actually go into the settings of Magic and you can tell it, you know, what you want it to do with the NumLock when Magic launches, and it'll um, honor that. Okay. In that regard, let's say you are a person that does a lot of work on the number pad. I mean, maybe, maybe as you say, uh, maybe the majority of your job using the NumPad lot. Would it make sense that a person might even, might, even though they're on a regular keyboard, uh, that they might want to set their, their, their keyboard to, to, as though they were using a laptop? Well, Magic doesn't have a laptop layout. Oh, okay. um, and the, re the reason being is there's most of the commands um, that we have you could do on either a laptop or a desktop keyboard. Okay. Um, and so... Um, there's a few commands that we've uh, put in alternate keystrokes for, okay. uh, but they're just in one keyboard, so you don't have to switch between them. Okay. You know, for example, say all traditionally is insert down arrow, mm -hmm. um, but we also have it to where you can do a caps lock A for say all. Okay. And so you could learn those alternate keystrokes mm -hmm. um, for the things that you're going to do, and that way 
um, you can have the, the NumLock on because you're doing calculations, right. and then you can just use the alternate keystrokes for those reading commands. Right. Okay. Okay, because I can, I can certainly think of places where, like, say you were an account or, or you worked in something where, you know, uh, well, the one thing that just popped to my mind is, you know, maybe you were an insurance agent or income tax preparer, all kinds of things where you might be using the num numpad quite a bit during the day. Okay, and uh, so then uh, it allows you to turn on and off the numlock when you need it and when you don't. Okay. Yeah, it focuses on what happens when you actually launch magic. Right. Okay. All right, FS Reader 3, and uh, what is FS Reader 3? I know what it is, but I'm bet you there's some of our listeners that don't know what FS Reader 3 is. Okay, so FS Reader is a free DAISY um, file player mm -hmm. um, that we include with both JAWS and Magic. Um, and we actually do our basic training that we provide for free with Magic, also with JAWS, is all done in DAISY format. Um, one of the key things with FS Reader is we've reformatted um, the, the main window of, of FS Reader to where we can utilize things like quick navigation keys to move from heading to heading if we want to, uh, to jump things. But we also, in the reorganization stuff, looked at it and said one of the things that could be very valuable to our low vision people is to be able to include graphics that kind of enhance your understanding of what they're talking about. So if I'm talking about a specific button in the training, um, then we can actually include that image in the FS Reader window right alongside the text. So as they're, you know, reading through the text or listening through the text, they can actually, you know, see that button at the same time, and they go, "Oh, that's the button they're talking about that's on the UI." Okay, and so and so the support for HTML in FS Reader three would make that possible to do where it probably wasn't before. That is correct, and that was the whole, you know big bulk reason of going there. Okay. That and the quick nav okay. keys. Okay. And go ahead and talk to me about the, the quick nav keys, will you? Okay, so quick navigation keys are, are something that we introduced a long time ago in JAWS um, to allow you to jump to specific elements on a page. Um, for example, if I wanted to jump to the next heading, I can just type an H and it'll go from heading to heading and I do, can do a shift H and go backwards through the headings. Um, and there's a whole slew of those things that um, you can jump to. You, know, you can jump to edit fields, you can jump to links, all that kind of stuff. Um, and in Magic, what we've done is, is we have it to where you toggle that functionality on. You do an insert Z that will toggle you into the um, ability to do quick nav keys. You do insert Z again to toggle that ability back off so that you can type into things. So then the quick nav keys, uh, are there separate keys where for like jumping heading to heading and some other key to jump up paragraph to paragraph or is it, or do you, do you tell it ahead of time what kinds of things you want it to be able to jump to? Um, no, there are specific keys um, for it. We have those that whole list in our in our help file as far as what they are. But you know, for example, you know, if I wanted to go to the next region on a web page, I can just type an R and it'll go to that region if there's okay. a new region. Um, you know, if uh, you know, I want to jump to a table cell, I can do a 
a control Windows key plus J. You know, there's, I, I, I encourage you to look at the list. We have a whole topic on the quick nav keys, and you can look through those. And look at the things that you'd want to jump to. You know, the headings mm-hmm. I, is the one I mentioned because, you know, if you're reading on a web page that's a news page, I might just want to know what the headings are. And so I can just go from heading to heading, and then if I want to read, I do an insert down arrow and read from that point. So, you know, yeah, I mean, I'm thinking, you know, and probably the majority of documents a person could, might be in, like you say, even on a web page, you probably may not want to be reading the whole page. You'd probably prefer to be, to be jumping through and see what's covered maybe before you just started reading the whole thing straight through. That's correct. Yeah, so you might want to jump by headings and see what are all the things covered, and then, and then you can skip over the things you're not interested in and read the things that you're interested in. Now, I understand also a part of the uh, FS uh, Reader 3 has added something that I've thought for a long time would be kind of nice, and that's the ability to get to... Uh, and download the training, like for JAWS, uh, directly in FS Reader? Yes, that was a change that we've made in, in Magic 13. We made it in, in the last JAWS and, and, and now in 13 of Magic um, to where, you know, what we had handled is that, let's say you installed Magic and you didn't install the training materials at the time. What we had before is you could do a check for updates and it would list all the training materials that were available and you could say, let me download it. What we've done now is we bring you into a table of contents when you bring up FS Reader, and it lists all our topics, mm-hmm. whether or not they're on your machine. Mm-hmm. If you're on, if if there's an interesting topic on your machine, and you say I want to grab that one, just press Enter on that topic, and if it's on your machine, it'll automatically open it up and start reading. If it's mm-hmm. not on your machine, it's going to go out and download it really quickly, and then start reading it. Okay. 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 I, I've thought for a long time that would be really nice to have that, uh, where you could get it. You know, you could actually go into the reader and just get, like you said, get a table of contents and oh well, this is what I want to find out about, and just hit enter on it and it download. Whether you had it on the machine or not, it would just download it and you could start reading it. So. And that's exactly where we are. Good. And and we might through check for updates if we develop new topics, we might update that table of contents through check for updates, mm-hmm. but then it'll be in there and you can grab the new topics. Okay. And we've actually done that in our beta cycle of, of Magic 13. As we develop new topics, um, we've actually changed that table of contents to where people could get to the new topics. Okay. Now, as a part of that, and I think I know the answer, but maybe you can expand a little on what's available uh, on, on this topic. Uh, what about the web binders? I know that, that your training department does a lot. Are there some out already for for Magic 13? Or? We have not developed the webinars, um, at least live webinars yet, on Magic 13. We will be doing that. Um, you know, we're working on some of the technology to where we can actually share the enhanced screen, you know, what mm-hmm. the magnification levels and the color enhancements, all that mm-hmm. stuff. Um, and so as we get that um, finalized, that's one of the things that we'll start introducing some different webinars. We're also going to start putting out some, um, just some videos um, that are informative that people will be able to access as well. Okay. Because I'm thinking, uh, 
of course, some of us always are thinking outside the box, maybe when we shouldn't ought to be. <laughs> but I'm sitting here thinking, well, gee, it's nice that I can get all the training just right here in FS Reader. Wouldn't it be nice if I could also, like, from the from the help, be able to see a list of webinars or videos and say, oh, gee, I'd like to see the video on how to do this or how to do that. That's a great idea, Dave, and, and, you know, I'll take that back that maybe that's possible. You know, if, if we say, hey, let's add it to the help topic, we can link to something we have live out there. Yeah, I'm take I, I you right to that. That. that could be a really, a really kind of a neat add-on to, to that. And, well, okay. And we'll call that the Dave Tanner uh, <laughs> Please <feature>. don't. <laughs> that might scare people away. <laughs> but I was just thinking that, you know, particularly with magic, I can see how that could be really kind of neat. Well, you get the training, but maybe if there was also a video, that might just be an additional reinforcement or something. That's a great idea. On some things. Okay, the next thing I see here is, and I can't understand why you would need this, of course, in a, in a magical program, because a magical program, we would think, would be error-free, right? And in and, 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 and our dream world, or whatever. <laughs> but error reporting, what is that all about? Okay, well, error reporting, um, you know, years ago I watched a, a video about a boy that lived in a, a bubble. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because they could control the environment sure. and nothing would change. Right. That is not Windows. Oh, That really? is not the applications we work in. Oh. And so as those things change, it may be that we released Magic and we had tested everything with the latest of these applications and everything was fine. But along comes tomorrow's update. Mm-hmm. And, you know, unbeknownst to us, it broke something. And uh, so what error reporting has allowed us to do, and we've used it during our beta cycle, and it's worked really well. We've used it um, in JAWS and made it available to users there. But there's a lot of times when a user will call and they'll say, look, I did this and this and this, and I get this issue. Mm -hmm. And try as we might, we can't reproduce that. And so what we've introduced is the ability through error reporting to create a log of, what applications were running, how they were interfacing with each other on your machine, and give the user the choice to send that log into our server. None of your personal information is incorporated into it, um, and so it's not like we can identify you. In fact, if you call up tech support and say, hey, I sent that in and I want to know what the results are, <laughs> we don't know because we don't know we don't which know. one it was. <laughs> yeah. um, but okay. what it allows us to do, as our developers call it, it allows us to put errors in buckets. Mm-hmm. And so if we get a big bucket that's got lots of stuff in it, we're going to put a bunch of effort into that to stabilize those things and to, to get a fix out there as quickly as possible. Okay. And so this allows us to, to analyze things by, you know, kind of looking at what was happening on, you know, five different machines that had the same sort of issue happening. And it happened started happening yesterday, okay. you know, but tomorrow we might have a fix out there and we can put out a hot fix. Okay, okay. So, so it gives you a bit of an indicator of what f- kinds of things people out in the field are experiencing. It does, and, it, and it'll, you know, we can get alerted very quickly that something has changed in our environment. Mm-hmm. And so we can, we can quickly respond to those changes because all of a sudden we got, you know, three, four dump files, and we go, okay, and these are all similar. Let's, let's see what's happening here. And, 
you know, we can put the wheels into motion to say, let's fix this problem before it becomes a big problem. Okay. And uh, so it's, it's a great feature. If you don't want it to happen, you, you have the choice when an error comes up that says, don't ask me again. I don't want to do this. So it's not something that's forced on you. It's something I encourage you to do because it allows us to develop the most stable product we can for you. Okay, and so if you don't do it, you may be hurting yourself because maybe if you'd reported it, they could fix it for you. That's correct. Okay. And what is a Magic 13 recovery hotkey? Well, the recovery hotkey is, you know, in in the, the environment, there's times when something could get hung up for some reason. Maybe it was some update, just like we just talked about. Mm -hmm. um, and it could put you in a bad situation to where it's hard for you to get back up and going. So the recovery hotkey, which is Windows is magic key plus the Windows key plus F8, that keystroke allows you to say, hey, kill off everything magic and restart it. Okay. And so what it does is it, it kills off any of our, our applications, any of our modules, and then restarts them so you can get back in a fresh state. And you know, hopefully not be hung up then. So it basically clears the memory of anything that has to do with magic and just reloads it. Correct. And we've had the same sort of feature in JAWS. Mm -hmm. Rarely is it used, but it's nice to know that it's there in your arsenal if something got hung. Okay. Okay. Okay, well, I think that pretty well covers the new features. I have just a couple of other questions I wanted to, to, to uh, throw at you, and, and I don't think I'm going to hit you with anything... Thing, anything uh, totally uh, off the wall or anything, but the things that people might very likely not like to know, would like to know. Um, and, and one of these things I think I actually asked you before we uh, went into this interview was it, uh, whether it's possible if a person wanted to, to use the Magic 13 with the preview of, of uh, Windows 10 that's currently available. Okay, well, the preview just came out, what, a week and a half ago? About a week and a half. And, uh, you know, we have found that there are some issues in that with Magic. Um, we're addressing those issues. Um, I would I would give us a, a little bit of time before you start playing with that preview because, uh, you know, we just got it the same time you they made it available. Sure. And so we're looking at that and... Um, you know, making sure we don't have any issues there. But our plan is that by the time um, Windows 10 um, releases, we'll have full support out there for it. And every indication I have right now is that we'll indeed make that. And, in fact, um, it could be if they put out a second beta or something that we can support at that time. Yeah, and it sounds like they definitely are going to do that. That's will be occasional upgrades for coming along. So. Yeah, beta software is beta software, yep. so you always got to oh, sure. um, kind of go, okay, let, I might have to wait a little while for everything to kind of mesh together. Okay. Well, the other question that I had is another one of those, um, you know, there are people who are are getting into it because they're constantly looking for something smaller, something more portable. What can I do to get, get more portability? Um where are we as far as magic with uh, any of the Windows tablets? Well, um, you can run, run magic on the Windows tablets that have a keyboard with them mm -hmm. at this point in time. We will be adding some touch support in the near future. Um, but, you know, like the, um, it's got to be a full-blown copy of Windows. It can't okay. be the RT. 
Um, but we do support those just like we do in Jaws. Okay. So any of the so any of the the, the ones that the tablets that have like for instance, I have a Windows tablet that actually has eight 8.1 Pro, so it should work with that just fine. That should work just fine. Um, you know, I I prefer. You know, I played with some some just sheer tablets. Um, I personally have a um, Lenovo Yoga, okay. um, which you know I can flip it over and run it run it like a tablet, but it actually has the keyboard a- attached, and I I like that myself because I still feel much more comfortable typing on a keyboard than on a um, touch screen. Okay. And now I'm using the one I know that you have seen because uh, I know Eric Damry has shown it at several of the, of the shows uh, uh, with Jaws and Open Book. I know the the Dell uh, Venue 8 Pro, um, which is actually like an 8 inch, and uh, so it has regular Windows, but it's it's just a 10. But um, yeah. you can hook that up with a, a Bluetooth keyboard. In fact, I know that's how Eric has, has showed you guys to do it. Um, I've tested Magic with it, and it works with it. The reality is, you get start getting down to an eight-inch screen, and if you're depending on mm-hmm. seeing magnified mm-hmm. letters, you're seeing very little. Yeah, yeah. But I'm thinking maybe a person that maybe only needs two, you know, one point five or two X. Maybe it's viable for somebody that's, but. But I'm thinking also about some of the tablets, uh, some of the uh, Lenovo's and others that are, have a 10-inch tablets. That might not be so bad. Right, and those those actually work pretty nice. I see people working with even laptops that have smaller screens now too. Okay, okay, and I think that was uh, the questions that I had. Is there anything you would like to add, or anything else you'd like to talk to tell, tell our listeners about, or uh, whatever? Um, well, no, I think we've covered quite a bit. We've covered the things that are coming in 13. We're, we're right around the corner from actually doing a final release on 13, um, and we'll continue to develop. We're going to be developing to support Windows 10. We're going to be developing um, to support other newer things that are happening out, out there. So um, you want to keep your eyes peeled. There is one thing. On our webpage, we have put together a Magic Headquarters, and I think that's a valuable site for people to have um, and, you know, things are in there is like all the documentation where you can download documentation or view documentation. Um, we include a section in there that's like um, kind of companion programs um, to Magic. And uh, the two that are on there right now is Typeability. Um, that is a typing program that is based off of scripting and um, it works with Magic or they have a version that works with Magic. And also there's a program called Say Magic, which is a middleware for... Um, kind of working with magic and dragon naturally speaking. And so, um, you know, it, it helps support, you know, kind of that interface between the two. But it also adds some really neat functionality to magic, such as um, instead of stepping through the magnification levels, you can, do, you can do a command like set magic to 6x, set magic to 3x, and it'll jump immediately to that magnification level instead of you having to step through increments. Okay. Um, so take a look at what we put on the Magic Headquarters. I think we'll be expanding that and putting more information on there. Um, and, you know, take a look at, you know, we've started developing new um, basic training. We've got, you know, about six and a half hours of basic training that, that is free for all of our Magic users. That kind of walks you through doing stuff in Windows and using the Magic commands to, to do things. 
Um, so it's a great place to learn and to. And those would be you would be able to get those from with an FS reader at this point. Yes, those are an FS reader. Um, we still got a couple of topics that we're putting in in the um, beta cycle right now, but we're almost done with it. And like I said, as we put out um, new updates to the even the beta, we will introduce new topics, so they'll be there for you. Okay, sounds great, and thank you for coming and um, interviewing with me uh, for Main Menu, and uh, it's been great to see you, and uh, great to have you uh, on Main Menu, and we look forward to see, having you back again for too long. And thank you very much for inviting me. I enjoyed uh, going through what these features are. Main Menu. Welcome to a demonstration of the new handoff feature in iOS 8 and for this demonstration I will be using my iPhone 6 Plus and my iPad mini both of which of course are running iOS 8 which will need to use the handoff feature and also both my devices are on the same iCloud account. Handoff is turned on in both devices and I'm using the same Wi-Fi network. So first of all let me unlock my iPhone 6 Plus. Sunday, the 21st of September, 9, 22 p.m. Messages. Double tap to open. Okay. So what I'm going to do for this particular first example of using handoff between your different devices, and later when Yosemite becomes available, I'll show you how to do it on your Mac as well, from either your iPhone or your iPad for that matter. So I'm going to touch on my mail icon on my iPhone 6 Plus. Of course, I'm using VoiceOver. Doc, mail. Double tap to open. Okay, one finger double tap on mail. Mail, all inboxes. Okay, let me choose Compose. Compose button. Double tap and hold to bring up drafts. Finger double tap. To text field is editing. Add contact button. Okay, add contact. New message to text field. New message groups button. Touch on the table index. Table index adjustable. Swipe up or down with one finger to adjust the value. And table index. One finger flick down to W. B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, selected. Okay, and I'm going to select me under W. David Woodbridge, me. Okay, that's David Woodbridge, me. One finger double tap. New message, all contacts, back button. And I'm going to select my work email address. ID or david.woodbridge at visionaustralia.org. That's my work address, one finger double tap. New message to text field is editing. Okay, one finger flick to the right. David Woodbridge. David.woodbridge at visionaustralia.org. Add contact. But CC. BCC. CC slap from subject text field. Double tap to edit. Okay, I'll put in a subject. Finger double tap on that. Insertion point at end. And it's going to type in the word test. Capital T. Capital T. D. E. S. S. T. T. Okay, so that's enough on my iPhone. So now if I put my iPhone down. And if I want to finish it off on my iPad, let's say, for example, I'm in a hurry, I'm rushing out the door, or just for the sake of this test, I can switch devices. If I unlock my iPad screen by pressing the home button. 9.27 p.m. And I flick to the right. Sunday, September 21st. Unlock button. Mail button. Double tap to continue using app. Okay, double tap to continue using app. That's the mail app, of course, from my iPhone. One finger double tap. Passcode field. Zero values. Passcode field. Zero values. My passcode. Mail, loading, draft, cancel. If I flick to the right. Test, heading. You just heard the mail app on the iPhone go as it returned to the main inbox. So the composing function has now been taken over by my iPad. So if I flick to the right. Cancel, test, heading. Okay, heading test. Send, button, to, David Woodbridge, text field. 
CC, tech BCC, CC slap from, subject, test, message body, sent from my iPhone, text field. Okay, sent from my iPhone, so that's definitely the message. Of course, the two and the subject fields were correct. And I won't bother typing in anything now. So I could basically put some text in now and send it off using my iPad. So I'm not going to do anything at the moment. I'm just going to select cancel. Sub David from CBC cease to send tap cancel. I'm going to double tap on cancel. Alert test heading delete draft and button the draft delete draft. Okay, and I'm going to come out of mail by just pressing the home button. FaceTime. Double tap to open. So first of all, you can pick up a handoff from an app running on your iPhone, in my case, on your lock screen. You can also pick it up from your app switcher. So if I go to my bookmarks page on my second screen on my iPhone here, so let me come out of mail here. Messages. Double tap to open. And I'm going to go to my second screen of my iPhone 6 Plus. Page 2 of 2. Mail. 4 unread emails. On the top Double of my tap screen. to open. Books folder. 5 apps. Bookmarks folder, 10 apps. Okay, there's my bookmarks Double folder. Tap to open. Opening bookmarks for Apple accessibility. Double tap to open. Okay, and I'd like to go to the Apple accessibility page on my iPhone 6 Plus. One finger double tap. Okay, and let me just do a two finger rotate. Handwriting, words, headings. Enter headings, you can click down. Navigation, accessibility, heading level two, banner. We've done everything possible to make anything possible. It sounds like the Apple accessibility page. So I put my iPhone down. And now, back to my iPad mini. If I now do the app switcher, so home button twice, one, two. App switcher, Safari. It's now focused on Safari, but if I flick to the right, home, running. There's the beginning of the app switcher itself. So I've got home, flick to the right, mail, running, mail, settings, running, settings, etc. Swipe so up flick with back to the left. to close the app, mail, home, Safari. Okay, there's Safari. If I flick back to the left again, people, message bang, button. Double tap to communicate with message bang. Buttons will appear to the right. Okay, remember that's your recent and or favourites that you can quickly call from your app switcher now at iOS 8. Flip back to the right for Safari. Safari. And one finger double tap. Safari. Two finger rotate. Containers. Headings. One finger flick down. Banner. We've done everything possible to make anything possible. Okay, so it's the same web page that was on on my iPhone 6 Plus. Now I'm running on my iPad mini via handoff. So if I come back to my iPhone. Banner. We've done everything possible to make anything possible. Now I've still got Safari open on my iPhone. So I'm just going to press the home button. Extras folder, three apps. Double tap to open. Now handoff will work for quite a number of iCloud based apps and of course developers can also put that functionality in there as well. But for example I've also tried it with maps, reminders and notes just to name a few. Now the third thing I want to show you which is sort of not quite handoff but it's part of the continuity function with iOS 8 with all devices now is where you can actually answer a call on a device that's linked up via your iPhone. So for example I can answer a call coming in from my iPhone on my iPad mini and of course in the future when Yosemite is available on the Mac as well. But let me for the moment just demonstrate how that works with my iPhone and my iPad mini now. And remember to make this work you'll need again to have the same iCloud account running on both devices. You need to be on the same Wi-Fi network. The devices need to be near each other because this actually works on Bluetooth 4.0 LTE. And also too in FaceTime in settings on both devices you need to enable iPhone cellular calls. Now I'm going to ring my iPhone as normal and I'm just going to pop my iPhone on silent. And what's going to happen is my iPhone is going to ring. You'll hear my iPhone announce the incoming call. And of course you'll hear the Alex voice. 
and then you'll hear FaceTime start to ring on my iPad mini, of course, using the Samantha voice, and I'll actually answer the call on my iPad mini. Muted. Okay, back on the table. Okay, I'm going to ring it. Ellen or David Woodbridge, accept button. Okay, one finger double tap on the accept button. And I'm just going to move it back a bit. It's going to echo. But my voice is now coming through my iPad mini. I'm talking my landline and the iPhone is connecting me to my iPad. So if I come back to my iPad mini, so if I access the end call on my iPad mini, okay, I could double tap that now, but if I come back to my iPhone and touch the status line, double alarm set, status bar item. Okay, I'm on my status line. Three fingers to reveal the notification center. Now keep in mind, I'm still on the line now with my center. iPad mini, my landline, because so I can hear the slight echo coming from my iPad mini speakers. If I flick to the right. Bluetooth on, status 100% battery power, touch to return to call, 1 minute, 21 seconds. If I wanted to, I could touch that to take the call back from my iPad mini back to my iPhone, or I can just hit the disconnect. End call. Okay, double tap to end the phone call. FaceTime. And I've returned to the home screen of my iPad mini. The fourth example I want to show you is actually making a call from the iPad mini out to a number, again using the iPhone. So if I go to my contacts. Contacts. Okay, one finger double, double tap, tap on contacts. Open. Okay, now I've already had contacts open already up to my work number for Vision Australia. So I'm just going to do a one finger double tap on the phone number for Vision Australia. Vision Australia, blindness and low vision services. And of course, I just did a two-finger double tap. Contacts. To hang All up. contacts. Groups. Button. And again, that was using my iPhone to actually make the phone call from my iPad mini. If you're in a contact that you can FaceTime video or FaceTime audio to, if you double tap on FaceTime audio, you'll get an option where you can FaceTime audio or you can dial the person's phone number again using your iPhone. So that concludes this demonstration of some of the continuity features in iOS 8. And of course they were using Mail and or Safari, in this case on my iPhone, and then transferring them over to keep using them on my iPad mini. And of course the final two demonstration was receiving and making a phone call between my iPhone and my iPad mini of course using the cellular function in the iPhone to support both the incoming and the outgoing phone calls. So that completes this demonstration. As usual, thanks for listening and bye for now. Well, we do want to thank you for being with us this week here on Main Menu and hope you'll join us back here again next week on Main Menu. You have a great week and we'll see you soon here on Main Menu.